This year's been a year of expansion for our youth ministry. We brought on Miles as the high school pastor. We brought on TJ as a middle school pastor. That means we got Sarah and Jesse, which are way cooler than Miles and TJ. And uh, both are recent graduates from Northwest University. And that's meant that we've had a real freshness here at Calvary Chapel. We went down to the Catalyst Conference as a staff, had a really neat time with the next generation of leaders, and uh, God's really forming some cool vision for youth for the next year. A couple of things that Miles done that has really impressed me. First of all was the Star Wars or Scripture game last night at the launch party for the Saturday night service. That was a fun game. It was very, very, very fun to hang out together. Yeah, there we go for Star Wars or Scripture. Um, Miles has been able to put together a worship band for our, for our 11 o'clock service for the youth. We've had one for Wednesday night. Now we have a band for Sunday morning for the youth. That's really been cool. The other thing that's been really interesting to me is to see this vision that he has for um, small groups on Wednesday nights. Every youth needs, you know, three, four, five touches of adults that are, that are impacting their lives, that are speaking into their, into their life, sharing scripture with them. And this discipleship program for Wednesday night is going to be huge impact for our youth ministry. So TJ Merglot is our speaker this morning. TJ is passionate about the word. Um, he just finished a series with the middle school going verse by verse through the, birth, through the book of Hebrews. And for me, one of the coolest things this last three months has watched him, come, watched him come into my office and share each week how excited he is about what he's learning out of the book of Hebrews and then teaching that and making that relevant for the middle schoolers. He's high energy, which would be an understatement. He's like high energy that's just drank three high energy drinks. He engages well with the students. He's got a great vision for leadership for our team. Would you welcome TJ Merglod? Good morning. Uh, that's not good enough. I said good morning. There we go. Um, uh, do you remember I deal with middle schoolers, so I make them yell at me while I yell at them for most of the services. No, okay, I won't be doing that. Um, but I just want to say just what a huge honor it is uh, to be up here. And um, just, just the fact, before I say any other word, can we all give it up for uh, Pastor Kevin, just the leader of our church, our head pastor. Um, he's in the back behind the sound booth. Um, he's making sure I don't uh, ruin everything. <laughs> I'm just kidding. <laughs> um, but it's, it's just a huge honor. It's just kind of funny. It makes you think of um, how they, they're trusting me on this stage so early, right? You know? Uh, no, okay, I won't do anything too crazy. Um, but me and my wife, we have been on staff, or I've been on staff here for six months now. And um, just to kind of give you a little bit about um, my uh, background, I've been married to my wife, Jessie, um, for over six years now, um, who's my best friend and who's just amazing, and I love her. Um, we have an adorable, smart, crazy, fun, energizing bunny worth of a son named Maddox. Um, he is crazy. Uh, he's so crazy that he will literally sprint until he drops to sleep. Um, it has literally happened where in mid-sprint, he just collapsed and just like was out. Um, it, it's, it's insane, but I'm insane with him too. So we're just like, poor Jesse. she's sitting on the couch and she's just watching me and Maddox just making wind sprints doing lines in the, in the living room, but uh, it's amazing. I love it. Um, it's probably the best thing uh, that I get to do is to be a dad. I love it. I, it's, it's so special, and um, with that being said, we also have another boy joining us, 
um, this November. So I'm so excited. Continue to pray for my wife um, just because she will have to deal with uh, three boys. And uh, yeah, it'll be good. Um, but I just want to tell you a little bit. I'm, I don't know if you know one of those parents, but I'm that parent. I'm that parent that will um, find ways to talk about how amazing his son is. Um, I'm, I'm that parent that will find ways to like show people pictures that I just met, videos, and just brag. I mean, it's so bad to, this, to the point sometimes I'll just be having a normal conversation with somebody and somebody will say a word like, oh, let's go outside. My son can see outside. You know, I, I just, it's, it's, just, it's just engraved in me. I, I love it. It's almost bad that um, when I take Maddox out, when me and him, we go to coffee shops, not the store, or, or, or just wherever we're going, I kind of get annoyed if I don't feel like the people around me have acknowledged how cute he is in public. <laughs> yeah, yeah, I'm not even kidding. It's true. It's bad. Um, <laughs> but uh, yeah, that's, that's, that's a little bit um, about me. Uh, but another really exciting reason why I get the chance to speak today is just because of what Miles was talking about, the importance of what summer camp is and how it's coming up, how it's, it's like the Super Bowl of youth ministry. Um, for me, I didn't grow up in a Christian home. I grew up very far from it. Um, my parents split at a very young age, and I experienced witnessing very hard alcohol abuse and drug abuse on both sides of my family growing up, growing up, bouncing between multiple family members, multiple houses. Um, and um, a local youth pastor in my community, I went to their church once. My mom like dragged me there and stuff, but he connected with me at the gym and he befriended me and my best friend and he loved on us. And that church put together a scholarship for us to go to the summer camp that year. And the very first service, I had this life-changing encounter with Jesus and, and realized just all of his goodness and realized that he has a plan and a purpose for me. And I realized that my whole 17 years of existence was purposed for that moment of meeting Jesus. And I believe in summer camp so much that it's, it's, it's then the very next year at summer camp, I was able to meet my wife. And when I saw her, I was like, I'm going to marry that girl. I'm not even kidding. I said that. Leaders were worried. Um, <laughs> um, and then three years later, I proposed at the same summer camp. So it's quite easy to tell that summer camp is important to me. But again, it's just something special about our students taking a step away from the busyness of life and taking three days to say, you know what, God, I'm here. Speak to me. So that's that's why I'm so excited for what's coming up. And um, man, there's just going to be good things in store in the youth ministry here, our future generation. Amen? So I want to ensure you that this morning, yes, it has aspects that are youth focused, but I also believe that God has something prepared for the whole family of God today. Amen? All right. So let's do this. I know you stand up and sit down probably two other times. This will be your third. But why don't we all stand together? And we're going to read from the scripture together. We're going to read in Daniel chapter 1, verses 3 through 8. Daniel chapter 1, verses 3 through 8. After we are done reading that, we're going to jump down to 18 through 20. And then while you're flipping there, I also want you to kind of put a little bookmark in Daniel chapter 3, because we're going to revisit that chapter later on in our message all right, all right. If you did not bring your Bible, we do have some slides as well. Daniel chapter 1, verses 
3 through 8. Let's read. Then the king instructed Ashpenzes, the master of the Enochs, to bring some of the children of Israel and some of the king's descendants, some of the nobles, young men where there was no blemish, but good-looking, gifted in all wisdom, possessing knowledge and quick to understand, who had the ability to serve in the king's palace, whom they might teach the language and the literature of the Chaldeans. And the king appointed them for daily provisions of the king's delicacies and the wine which he drank, and three years of training for them, so that at the end of the time they might serve before the king. Now among those sons of Judah were Daniel, Hananiah, Mishael, Azariah, so the chief of Enoch's gave them names, Daniel the name Bethizar, Hananiah, Shadrach, Mishael, Meshach, and Azariah, Abednego. Verse 8, but Daniel purposed in his heart that he would not defile himself. Other translations say that because of the resolve that Daniel had in his heart not to defile himself. It's just awesome wording, I love it. Um, he would not defile himself with the portion of the king's delicacies, nor of the wine which he drank. Therefore, he requested to the chief of Enoch's that he might not defile himself. Now, before we jump down to verse 18, there's kind of an interaction between Daniel and the chief Enoch, where Daniel talks to him about this. And the, the chief of Enoch, he kind of expresses, well, if this doesn't work out, you're going to have me killed. <laughs> but Daniel's like, test us. It's going to work out. You know, God had favor in that situation and allowed that to go through. And we're going to find verse 18. It says, and at the end of the days, this is the three-year training period that was mentioned in verse uh, in, earlier. At the end of the days, when the king had said that they should, they should be brought in, the chief of the Enoch's brought them in before Nebuchadnezzar. Then the king interviewed them, and among them all were found... Um, and among them all, none were found like Daniel, Hananiah, Mishael, Azariah. But therefore, they served before the king in all matters of wisdom and understandings about um, which the king examined them. And he found them ten times better than all the magicians, astrologers who were all in his realm. Let's pray. Uh, Jesus, we just thank you for your goodness. We thank you for everything you're doing this morning, God. Father God, I pray we would just open our hearts, God, and that we would just that we would just listen to your spirit of what you're trying to speak today. Teach us, mold us, frame us into what you have planned this morning. We thank you for all your goodness in Jesus' name. Amen. All right, you can all be seated. Now, uh, the time frame of this book, of uh, the book of Daniel, is around 607 BC. Um, prior to the, the book of Daniel written, the city of Jerusalem just fell siege under the nation of Babylon. And if you want to more reference of, of kind of the acts of, of what happened to this, you can go to 2 Kings chapters 23 through 25 to kind of read the narrative of what happened to take place that the people, the nation of Israel is again captive. And um, I mean, just prior to this, the, the city of Jerusalem is fallen. The, the temple of the Lord is stripped down, burnt down. The, the nation's people, their, their, their nobles and, 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 and their children are taken captive. I mean, just, just an utter sign of, of, of just misery that the people are feeling right now. Just brokenness. And um, it's, it's just, that's just the, the window of what you need to read this book through. 
Now, the book of Daniel is fascinating for, for several reasons. Um, one of the, it is the only book in the Bible that actually falls under three categories. It's a narrative, it's a historic, and it's prophetic. Now, what's interesting about the prophetic aspect of it is many um, Bible naysayers actually point to the prophecies in the book of Daniel saying there's no way that it could have been written when it's said is written because it's so accurate. I mean, it's just amazing how good God's word is. Amen? Now, um, there's two main things in this first scripture that we read that I believe that is very significant for us, uh, for, very significant then and also significant today as us as believers. The first is the resolve that Daniel showed that when he asked to live a certain way, the way that was offered was an attractive way. I don't, right? They were, he was offered to live a way, the same way that the king of a mighty nation lived, with the same delicacies and the same wine. And, um, but because of the resolve in his heart, he asked to live a different way. And I think that is because the magnitude in which he viewed God. And I think that is the magnitude and the importance that it was to live a life that was God-honoring, even when you're in a horrible situation, amen, that he had the boldness to approach a compromising situation and turning it into a situation where God could be glorified, where God could be shown through with his goodness. I mean, that's, that's I don't know about you, but that, that, that's encouraging, that's exciting, right? I, you know what, you, um, there's something that we need to realize that Sometimes a powerful testimony to our peers is not always the huge crowds. It's not always the great miracles and the healings and the, and the grand testimonies. But sometimes a powerful testimony to our peers is when we constantly keep our eyes on Jesus. When life doesn't go the way we wanted life to go. When we find ourselves in a situation we did not want to be in but we can keep our eyes on Jesus. We can keep our eyes on God and saying, yeah, you know what? It'd be very easy for me to compromise right here, right now. It's just a little food. It's just a little wine. I'm already a captive. I'm a slave to another nation. But he kept his eyes on Jesus. And because of that, man, just that is a testimony that speaks volumes to our families. That's the testimony that speaks volumes to our coworkers, to our peers. Amen? Amen. All right. The second aspect of the scripture, which I found really interesting, is the names being changed. Now, in the Bible, it's, we find constant um, name changes throughout all the Bible, right? You have Abram having his name changed to Abraham. Abram, which means high father to Abraham, to father of the many. You have Sarai, which means princess, being changed to Sarah, which means mother of the multitude or mother of the nations. You have Jacob, which means to displace or supplant to Israel, which means having power with God. You have Simon, which means heard, to Peter, which means rock, Saul, and to Paul. Each of these name chains were significant for a new identity that God was doing. In the individual, a new calling, a new chance, a new way. But we actually, these four young men that we've looked at actually had the reverse happen to them. Daniel meant God is my judge. Hananiah meant God has favored. Michelle means who is what God is. Azariah means Jehovah has helped. 
And when their names were changed to Beltizar and Shadrach and Meshach and Abednego, their names were changed to mere that, that opposing countries, uh, pagan deities. And even though today we're not calling people uh, certain pagan deities, but I think it's also important to know that how often does the world try to label what God has called great? How, world, how often does the world try to categorize what God has called us good? I mean, in 1 Corinthians chapter 1, verses 26 through 29, I have it on the screen. It, it paints a beautiful picture. It says, For consider your calling, brothers, that not many of you were wise according to worldly standards. Not many were powerful. Not many were noble birth. But God chose what is foolish in the world to shame the wise. God chose what is weak in the world to shame the strong. God chose what is low and despised in the world, even things that are not, to bring to nothing things that are, so that no human being might boast in the presence of of God. The world's standards, the world's titles, are the world's wisdom, the world's strengths are not captive to what God has called you to. Another scripture I want to read is 1 Timothy 4, chapter 12. It says, let no one despise your youth, but be an example to the believers in word, in conduct, in love, in spirit, in faith, in purity. I love to read the scripture to our students. I love it. I love to read the scripture to our students and to remind them that because of their youth, that they can still be an influence in their church. That be, not be, because of their youth, they can still be an influence in their family, in their schools, in this city. That their youth does not hold them back. And I believe that Paul is writing this to Tim, Timothy because Timothy's youth is his biggest insecurity. And I believe in a way we can actually take out Timothy's insecurity and put in our own insecurities. That because of your background, do not be despised, but be an example. But because, just because of what family you came from, do not be despised, but be an example. Just because of how you measure your talents according to other people's talents, do not be despised, but be an example because God can work through you. God can move from you. God can do something with you. God has not disqualified you. Even if the world has changed your name, even if the world is calling you something that you're not, God is calling you something good. Amen? Amen. Amen. That's exciting news, right? 2 Corinthians chapter 12, verse 9, it says, Through our, um, God's strength is made perfect in our weakness. That's good news for me because I'm weak in a lot of areas. That's good news because I don't fit the bill. That's good news because I don't measure up in areas I felt like I should be measuring up in. But God said, give me your weakness. And through my strength, I will make it perfect. God is able. He is good. And most importantly, he's willing to carry our weakness and use it. it he proves it all throughout the Bible. And he proves it still today. He's not done. And when we continue, we're going to continue to, um, to, to follow up the story in Daniel chapter 3. And prior to uh, the, the Daniel chapter 3 that we're going to read in a second, what happens is some of the king's men go to King Nebuchadnezzar. And they tell him, you know what, King Nebuchadnezzar, you're amazing. He's like, you know what, 
I am pretty amazing. And um, he's like, and very good looking and humble, you know. Um, but uh, <laughs> he's like, you're so amazing, King Nebuchadnezzar. You should build a giant golden structure that represents your greatness. And whenever we have music playing, let's have all the nation bow down and worship it. He's like, you know what? I do deserve all that worship. Let's do it. So what happens is they start that, and um, some of the king's men kind of conspired against Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego because of their jealousies, and they approached the king saying, you know what? These people will not serve, will not bow down. So the king calls them in, and that's where we find our chapter. In Daniel chapter 3, verses 13 through 25, it says, Furious with rage. Nebuchadnezzar summoned Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. So these men were brought in before the king. And Nebuchadnezzar said to them, Is it true, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, that you do not serve my gods or worship the image of gold I have set up? Now when you hear the sound of the horn or the flute and the zither and the lyre and the harp and the pipe and all kinds of music, if you're ready to fall down and worship the image I made, very good. But if you do not worship it, you will be thrown immediately into the blazing furnace. Then what God will be able to rescue from my hand? Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego replied, King Nebuchadnezzar, we do not need to defend ourselves before you in this matter. If we are thrown into the blazing furnace, the God we serve is able to deliver us from it. And, we will del- and, and he will deliver us from your majesty's hand. And even if he does not... I want you to know, your majesty, that we will not serve your gods or worship the image of gold that you have set up. Then then Nebuchadnezzar was furious with Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, and his attitude towards them changed. He ordered the furnace heated seven times hotter than usual, commanded some of the strongest soldiers in his army to tie up Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego and throw them into the blazing furnace. So these men were wearing robes and trousers and turbans and other clothes, bound them, threw them into the blazing furnace. And the king's command was so urgent, the furnace so hot, that the flames of the fire killed the soldiers who took up Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. And these three men, firmly tied, fell into the blazing furnace. Then King Nebuchadnezzar leapt to his feet in amazement. And he asked his advisors, weren't there three men that we tied up? And he threw into the fire. They replied, certainly, your majesty. He said, look, I see four men walking in the fire, unbound, unharmed. And the fourth looks like the son of the gods. Wow. Can we take a step back and and, and just imagine the scenery that, that they witnessed? That this mighty nation, the biggest nation of the time, all the music plays throughout the whole nation. And you see a sea of people bowing down. And through the sea of people, you see three young men standing, brought in front of the king in a blazing furnace. And they say, our God is able to deliver us. And even if he doesn't, we will serve no other God. Powerful, right? I mean, just the thought that they're, they're captive to another nation. They're forced to serve under another king, but their worship was not captive to their circumstance. That, we, that the God we serve is willing to get into the furnace with us and stand in there with us. 
Matthew chapter 5, verses 14 through 16. It says, you are the light of the world. A city that is set on a hill cannot be hidden, nor do they light a lamp and put it under a basket, but on a lampstand, and it gives light to all who are in the house. Let your light so shine before men that they may see your good works and glorify the, your Father in heaven. Last week, um, Pastor Kevin talked about that Jesus is the light of the world. That the light that drives out sin, that that light that drives out fear, there's that light that drives, oh, uh, that, that gives hope. And that when Jesus becomes our Lord and through the working spirit uh, the, and through the working of the Holy Spirit in our lives, we become the light of the world. Wow. And that, and the church is supposed to be that light that gives hope in that darkness. And the church is supposed to be a light that's not hidden in a basket, that's not hidden in these walls, that's not hidden through fear and through our insecurities, but it's a light that stands on a hill for all to see. When you look back on Daniel chapter three, like I said, that the imagery is amazing. The three youth standing while everyone is bowing standing facing certain death because of their faith. And you know what I think about during this time? I think about the other children of Israel that are actually bowing at this moment. And they look up and they see, they see Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. And they remember how good God was. And they remember that they did have a God worth standing for. And then remember, I don't need to compromise my life anymore because God is good. He's good enough to stand for. He's good enough to be a light for. I, I think about all the thousands of unbelievers that are around them that look at Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, and they're saying, wow, what God do they serve that they're willing to stand like that for? What kind of how great is that God that they can stand facing the furnace, facing the king, facing certain death? Just by standing, you guys, we can be a light to this city. Just by standing, just by keeping our eyes on Jesus, just by passing through the compromising situations that were, that were dealt with in our families, in our workplaces, in, in the streets, by keeping our eyes on Jesus. And it might feel like, for you, it might feel like each and every single breath, your shoulders just get heavier. The pain in your family, the, the heartbreak in your, from, from your past experiences, the pain in your body. But God is saying, stand and be a light and be encouraged and have faith in him to work in your life. And even if he doesn't help you in this current tragedy, that he is still good. Because he has prepared our eternity. That is why as believers, that regardless of our age, regardless of our background, regardless of our, our race, regardless of our talents, regardless of our work, he loves you and he has not forgotten you. And he has a plan and he has a purpose and he's ready to work through us. Wow, what an honor. And I think, I think in, in, in some of the, uh, the scriptures we've read so far, there's three main takeaways that, that really jumped out to me while I was reading this. The first one is resolve. That the resolve, like Daniel, 
to look at compromising situations that we face and choose to live a life with purity in a God-honoring fashion, that we'd have courage, courage to stand up when everyone is bowing, courage to be heard, courage to, to give strength to everyone around you, and even if, if because they don't know what's worth standing for yet, to have faith to step into the furnace, faith to have a full confidence in God, that he will come through in my circumstance. And even if he doesn't intervene, he is still king. He is still good. And when we put our faith in Jesus Christ, and when we put our faith in the eternal victory that he gave us through facing the cross and beating death and raising from the dead, he's coming back again. We stand facing the furnace and um, we can stand facing the furnace in life sometimes because our victory isn't here, but our victory is eternal with him. That when I cannot see how it's possible, that when I, when I cannot see what's next and I can't see how all these problems in life, how they add up and how it concludes, I can still look at him. I would like to actually use this, um, this rope I actually have as kind of a, a kind of a visual illustration. Now, on this rope, we have this little blue part, right? It's a beautiful blue part, right? Um, this blue part represents our life. You know, here we were born, here we finished school, here we fell in love, here we had a heart broken, it was like a two-week gap. Um, <laughs> if you're in, yeah, youth ministry, experienced a lot of those. Uh, <laughs> um, here is, is our, 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 first, our first child was born. Here, here we faced just utter disappointment. Here, it felt like our family just started falling apart. Here, it just looks like life's problems kept adding up. And here, here's the goodness too. And um, like I said, I, I, don't, I can't see my tomorrow. I can't see how long my blue line ends. But even with that, because the work of the cross, I can still see my eternity. That when here feels so heavy and here feels so hurtful, I can't see tomorrow. I can't see where my blue line ends, but I can see where my eternity stands with Jesus. And when I can look at my eternity, it makes my blue line feel a lot less significant. And it makes my pain and my hurt and my disappointment and my frustrations and my jealousy and my anger and just everything seems so much less significant because I can see my eternity. God desires you to have that same assurance, not so that in, in what you can offer, but when what he offered. I, liked, I often think about the cross, about the horrible things that Jesus went through, that, that God's plan was to become, listen, God's plan was to become fully human and suffer an extreme amount of pain and humiliation. And for our sake, I don't know, if I was God and I was doing the planning, I would leave that pain part out of it, right? 
I mean, come on, you know, like, oh, check. Oh, let's scratch that from today's agenda. Do not want to be crucified. Um, and I have to think, like, why, why, why that route? And the more I think about it, is the more I realize is just so that when we are in the midst of our pain, when we are in the midst of our struggle, when we are in the midst of just life just hitting us so hard, that we can look to the cross, we can look to what Jesus did and never doubt the goodness of God. That we can look at the pain and everything he went through and never doubt God's love for us. Because yeah, my current situation might suck, but his love was proven time again for what he did. And that yeah, my current situation might hurt, but he went to the cross for me to prepare my eternity, to prepare my victory, to, to fully experience the goodness of God until the end. Gosh, God is good. And when I, I think about this, 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 this mindset, and it reminds me of a certain man named Horatio Stafford. Some of you might have heard this name. Um, he lived in Chicago during the um, 1800s. He was a wealthy man. He uh, was a lawyer and also was a, was a really good in, in um, real estate. Um, and uh, he, he was a godly man. He loved Jesus. His family, it was just a godly family. And um, what happened in Chicago, tragedy struck in 1871. You might have heard the Great Chicago Fire. 300 people died, 100,000 instantly homeless, 17,000 structures burnt down, including Stafford's business and just about all of his investments. Very soon after that, his only son died at a young, tragic age. I mean, just, just broken inside, you know? And... Stafford, he talks to his wife, and they're like, you know what? We need a vacation. We need to get away from this. So he sets it up where he sends his four daughters and his wife on a boat to England, and he's going to meet up with them because he still has to kind of figure some stuff out at home. And soon after that boat left, that boat collided with another boat. And Stafford gets this this haunting message this, from his wife. It said, saved alone. Just, Stafford didn't know what to do. He just got on a boat and he just, he just went, he just left. And as he's leaving, as one of the ship members actually comes up to him and tells him this is where the boat collided with the other boat. As he's passing the area where his four daughters' graves are, he wrote a famous hymn, a hymn that is still said today. This, this song that we're going to sing in a second is kind of a reiteration of it. But he wrote the hymn, It Is Well With My Soul. And I can't imagine uttering those words while facing that type of brokenness. And I can't imagine just having that mindset. And right now, you might be saying that. You might be saying, my family situation is hard. I cannot say it is well with my soul. You might be saying, I'm frustrated. I cannot say it is well with my soul. You might be doing great. You and Jesus and your family, God's doing wonders. And God's saying, be a light. 
because there's people around us that their soul is not well and they need to know that we have a God that makes our soul well. I believe that Horatio could say that. I believe that he could write that song because he, even though in the brokenness of today, he looked at the eternity that Jesus has prepared for him and his wife and his daughters and say, you know what, Jesus, even though now it hurts, I'm lost, but it is still well with my soul. So this morning, some of you need to come to the realization that you need to be that light. Some of you need to come to the realization and just tell God, maybe you need to convince yourself that it is well with my soul, God. But I'm gonna invite everyone this morning to stand up and let's worship God for his goodness. Let's worship him for his grace, for his love, for, for choosing us to be a light in a dark and desperate world that needs us, amen? thank you for all of your goodness. We thank you, Jesus, that you prepared our eternity. We thank you, Jesus, that 
You lived for us. You died for us. You rose for us. Thank you, God, that we can say no matter what, it is well with my soul. Thank you, Jesus, for calling us to be a light, to calling us to stand when everyone is bowing. Thank you for all of your goodness. We give you this morning, we give you our hearts, we give you our everything. And we know when we give you our everything, your strength is made perfect in our weakness. We just thank you for all of your goodness. In Jesus' name, amen. Awesome. So everyone, I want to encourage you. Um, after this, we do have we do have food out there. All proceeds go straight to sending students to summer camp. It is it's some good food too. I'm excited. So um, get some food, hang out, say hi to a couple people, and um, have a great week. <laughs>